Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, we're continuing the the Big Word series tonight, and uh, I've been tasked with talking about the law of faith, which isn't a word, it's a phrase, but okay. Um, And it's... It's technically only used once in one place, in one translation. Um, but, uh, you know, that's beside the point. Um, I'm, like, I'm really enjoying like, this series because there's a depth to these words. that we, we use them on surface level, right? We, go, we just throw around these words often. Faith, righteousness, justification, law. and We just use them on a surface level, but there's a depth to them that it, when, you, when you delve into the depth of them, you can pull out something for your life that gives you a fuller understanding of the picture of what Jesus did for you on the cross and in rising again. And that's what we want to do. That's the, that's the point of the Big Word series. So uh, let's get straight into it. I've got 20 minutes. So I'm only talking for 20 minutes. I can see the relief on some of your faces. Um, but I promise, stay, stay with me. It's going to be good. Um, Romans three twenty six to 27. Uh, He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No. Because of the law that requires faith. The law of faith. As the King James Version puts it. So Paul's concern in Romans 3 is how we are justified. Now, justification isn't my word, but I'll quickly define it. It's simply, if I was in a court of law and I was to stand before a judge, the judge would look at my actions and weigh up if they were right or wrong. If the judge decided that my actions were right, I would be justified in the judge's eyes to be right. I would be right in front of the judge. If I was, my actions were to be weighed up to be wrong, then I would be judged and punished based on my actions. So Paul's concern is, how are you justified? Now, you can approach justification in two ways. You can try and justify yourself in front of God through faith, or you can try and justify yourself in front of God through works. And I want to look at a story it's in, in, in Luke, the prodigal son, and I want to look at two characters in that story, one who understands he's justified by faith, and the other one who doesn't get it. Um, this is really interesting because the prodigal son is kind of the, 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 the idiot in the story. But not for the first verse. Actually, Luke 15, 11 to 12, and I want to draw this out. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. The, the prodigal son, the younger son, understands that he, his identity as a son. So he can approach the father and lay, lay hold of his inheritance. It's his. He, he owns it. The father doesn't give, doesn't give it to him begrudgingly. He says, yeah, 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 take the inheritance. It, it's technically yours. And so you see, when we come into faith, we, we start a new identity. So when, when, you, when you say, I'm a Christian, and I want to believe that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that moment of faith creates in you a new identity. That identity is, the, is a son. It says, you, Romans 8 talks about the spirit of adoption. 
that you're adopted into a family which makes you a co-heir with Christ. Christ's inheritance becomes your inheritance. Why? Because of your identity, because of your faith. So before the Father, you come to him understanding fully in your identity as a son, you can lay hold of the inheritance that he has for you. You are justified in front of the Father because you are a son. And it's what the prodigal son, the younger one, understands. He knows his identity. So he knows what he can lay claim of. His inheritance. Now we know how the rest of the story goes. He squanders it. He, he spends it on prostitutes and parties. And he comes back and he, he pours himself at his father's feet and says, I will be just a slave in your house if you let me back in. Just let, I will be a slave in your house. And the father's response is, No son of mine will be a slave in my house. Bring the robe, bring the ring, restore him back into the family because no son of mine will be a slave. But the other son is enraged by this. He's absolutely fuming. If this was my little brother, I would be absolute rage. I would not stand for this. And you know, the older older son, and we read... In um, Luke 15, 28 to 30, this is the older son's reaction. So he hears the party going on. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years, this is interesting, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered his inheritance, squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The older son completely misunderstands who he is. He hasn't got it. He doesn't understand that in front of his father, he's a son. He doesn't have to be out in the field slaving away because he's not a slave, he's a son. So he's angry because he's trying to justify himself to his father through his works. But the father's response is, you don't, the father goes on to say, he goes, oh, my son, if you wanted a calf, ask for a calf. I would have given it to you. It's all yours, but... He has such a mentality of trying to justify himself by his works. Romans 3, 26, 28, and we'll look at 28. This is Paul. After he talks about the law of faith, he says, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So your justification is secured by faith, not by your works. But the problem is, the younger son can't be the example for Christianity. I, I can't stand up here. Kevin and would not be happy with me if I stood up here and went, the, the prodigal son, he's the, like, that's the example for your life. Okay, That's how you need to live. That's not going to fly in a sermon on a Sunday. It doesn't work. But he understands his identity. Yeah, he does. But you can understand who you are. That doesn't mean you act in it. That doesn't mean you live that out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Put it this way. I, I'm, I'm a guy, right? I'm a bloke. And I can, I can walk around and act like a girl. I can put on a skirt, high knee socks, a bag. Oh, I'm describing a Scotsman. Sorry. Um, 
um, I'll try again. I'm a Londoner, right? I can try and act like an Abedonian. I can try and talk the language. I can say fit like, fit you saying, you can. Do you want a Bosey, whatever that is? I work in the oil industry. Like, I can try and act like an Abedonian, but I'm a Londoner. And that's my identity, regardless. And so I can, I can doesn't, just because I'm a Londoner, that doesn't mean I have to act like a Londoner. I can try and pretend and be something else that I'm not. 1 Peter um, 14 to 16 says this. Um, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you holy is ho- who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So we're justified by faith, right? We're justified because of our identity, which is secured for us by faith. So I'm a son and my inheritance is righteousness and holiness. So in front of God, I'm made holy. But God still commands me, he still asks that I would be holy as he is holy. You see, you can, it's about knowing your identity and actually walking in your identity. They're two different things. So often when Jesus extends grace to someone, he is looking for a response from that. But faith, grace, has to produce something in someone's life. God, when he sows seed, he expects fruit. He expects fruit. What does he do to the tree that bears no fruit? He curses it and it dies. Faith without works is dead. And so we see in John 8, 10, 11, just one example Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? I'd imagine saying that nowadays. Woman, where are they? And just, man, that's how you get slapped. Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. And from now on, sin no more. So Jesus extends his grace to this woman, but there's an expectation that now she is equipped and she has everything she needs to live a life free from sin. The prodigal son understands who he is. He just doesn't understand how to live it out. See, the point of his inheritance was not so he could go and spend it. He had servants to look after. He had, he had fields to tend to. He had grounds to look after and work on. That was his inheritance, to build that, to live out properly as a representation of his father's son. But he went against that. So whilst he understands his identity, he just doesn't understand his relationship with with his father. You can understand your identity, but that doesn't mean you necessarily understand your relationship. See, God wants us to be holy. He, He wants us to do good works. But it's our motivation to do those good works that he's interested in, that he wants to change, that he wants to turn around. Whilst our identity brought about, whilst our identity brought about by our faith secures our justification, you with me? Your relationship brings about your motivation. Your relationship brings out your motivation. Your motivation to do good works. Because your relationship is founded on the basis of love. Yeah. 
When Jesus hung on the tree, there's this song that goes, um, uh, it was my sin that held him there. And it used to frustrate me as a kid because I didn't think it was true. The reason Jesus went to the cross, bear with me, the reason Jesus went to the cross was my sin. That's why he had to go to the cross. But what held him there, the Bible says he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. It was the love of a God for, a, for someone as low as me that held him to that cross. Why he endured the cross for me, why he endured those whips, why he endured the mockery, the spitting, the shame, the embarrassment was solely because he loved me and he had to deal with my sin. The reason for the cross was my sin, but what held him there, his motivation was his love for me. 1 John 4, 9-12. God clearly paints this picture. We are made for love. This is how God showed love, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Your your life was made for love. You were made for love. To be loved, to love, to know how to love, that's what your life is for. So your faith brings about your identity as a son, which justifies you in front of God. But your relationship motivates you to do good works. Paul says in Romans 3, do we then nullify the law? In other words, do we scrap the law by this faith, because I am a son. So I don't have to act like it now. Do I nullify the law? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. It's a complete mindset shift that God was after, that he was trying to, to achieve. Let me uh, uh, tell you a story, I guess, from my own life, and where that mindset shift for me happened. I was... Um, I was maybe 16 years old and I was off ill um, and I ended up watching pornography. And this wasn't the first time that I'd watched pornography and it wasn't the last time I watched pornography. But I remember my dad coming home and I'm watching, uh, I'm watching the film at the time, Columbus or something, Columbo I think, the detective films. Uh, I used to really like them. Um, and uh, my dad picks his head around the corner and he goes, Aaron, I know what you've been watching. Now I'm going to go pick up your mum and then we're going to come home and we're going to talk about this. You can imagine, I felt about this big. At that point in time, I wanted the ground to swallow. Jesus, take me now. <laughs> I, I am not, not want to wait for my dad to come home with my mom. I, I'm, I, am, I feel this big. I was this low. And then my dad comes home. Two hours later, okay, so I'm, I'm sweating at home. With a bag, with a boot full of shopping. He cooks dinner. We sit around the table. Like Lana, how's your day been? Good, yeah. TJ, Aaron, and I'm like, is this is this just some you, mind game that you're playing with me before the, the belt comes out later? And then after we finish dinner, and he goes, uh, Aaron, just, just come up to the garage for me. I want to show you something. I'm like, here it is, the torture chamber. 
I'm gonna... We had a double garage at the back of the garden where no one can hear me scream. That's what's going to happen. That's what's about to happen. He's about to just whip me or with a belt or with a wooden spoon was what my dad used most of the time. <laughs> and I walk in and there's this Bible open. Highlighted verse. I'm like, here it is. If your left eye sins, pull it out. If, if your right arm sins, cut it right off. God punishes the wicked. That's what I was expecting, right? And uh, I go over to the Bible. And the highlighted is this verse, 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And I just, I start weeping. I, I literally fall to my knees, completely broken. And my dad pulls me up and he just looks at me and he says, what you did today, what you watched, that isn't who you are. That's not who God's called you to be. That's not the life that he calls you to. He's got way more for you than that. And then he left. And he just left me in in this like puddle of tears. You see, my whole life up until that point, I I was looking at God over there and I was trying to work for his acceptance. Just like the, the, older bro- the older brother in the prodigal son story. And I'm sat here in my works and I'm, I'm fighting off the enemy and I'm trying to, trying to do stuff for God and I'm trying to read my Bible every day and I'm, I'm trying to pray and I'm, I'm trying to not sin, I'm trying to not swear, I'm trying to witness to my friends and, until I can get to this point where my identity is good as, as a good Christian and maybe then God will accept me. But lo and behold, I got to this point and I realized I was a failure and I had to start all over again. And I was like, okay, this time I'm going to get it. This time I'm going to be able to live the Christian life that you want me to live. And I I fight off the sin and I I fight off everything that the devil is throwing at me. And I get to this point again in my identity and I fail again. And what happens is I begin to become a failure. My identity isn't rooted in God anymore. It's rooted in what I can achieve, which is nothing, which is nothing. So I become a failure, striving for God's acceptance. All the meantime, God is over here screaming at me, Aaron, I didn't die so you would submit yourself to the yoke of slavery again. No child of mine is going to be called a slave. No child of mine is going to live under the bondage of sin. Why? Because I broke it. I laid on the cross. I was nailed to the cross because I wanted you to be set free. Because I have freedom for you. By faith I'm justified. I'm a son. And when I learned that God accepted me, when I learned that my identity was a son, all I could do was respond out of love. It completely changed the way that I lived my Christian life. It completely changed the way that I lived my Christian walk. What I started to begin to do was not strive towards acceptance, but strive towards what God had called me to. Strive towards the identity that God had for me. The fullness of the life that God had opened up to me. Because He accepted me. Because He loved me. And because through faith I'm a son. It's the same for you. It's the exact same for you. Romans 3, 27 to 28. The message version. So where does that leave our proud, 
Jewish insider claims and counterclaims. Cancelled? Yes, cancelled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting Him set the pace. Not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. And then down to verse 31. But by shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we counsel out all our careful keeping of the rules and ways God commanded? Not at all. What happens in fact is that by putting that entire way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. You see, you can try and strive for God's acceptance, but understand this, you are accepted when he died on the cross. Your faith justifies you in front of God. He judges you to be right. Let that be the motivating factor for your good works, not his acceptance. Because you'll never be good enough. You'll never get there on your own. You're not strong enough to beat that stuff. You're not. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.